This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. And so what we're trying to do is, is, is change that mindset that fire EMS, while nothing is ever 100% safe, law enforcement can provide a level of protection. They can establish warm zones. They can establish corridors and escorts for rescue task forces to come down and start doing the life-saving. Hi, and welcome to the EM Weekly Show, and this is your host, Todd DeVos speaking, and today we are exploring the active shooter training program uh, that Teeks and the ODP has uh, sponsored and put on. And uh, this program uses computers and interactive simulation to get you and your team really into the mindset and into the action. And this program is really kind of cool because it's not just, you know, you're not sitting behind a computer all day long. And when I talk about the simulation, it really is getting your team responding to an active shooter situation so you get tactically minded response, both to the law enforcement, fire, EMS, uh, dispatch as well. And then also it has a component of command and control in there to where you are either in the um, incident command post or at some point uh, for the larger uh, scale event, you end up in the uh, EOC. So it's really kind of cool um, how they put this together. However, before we get into this, I just have do have a question that was sent to me via the Ask Todd on the EM Weekly uh, webpage, and it came from this uh, gentleman, Bill from Massachusetts, and he asked about power companies' response teams to disasters. And Bill, I can only talk about Southern California Edison with any kind of authority, and what I mean by that is that I've worked with these guys and gals uh, before, um, and so basically they have a really good program set up here to where they have teams that go out all hours of the night when called out to respond to fires and windstorms uh, and other power outage issues that happen. And they will go to your EOC as well, depending on, on where it is and, and how big of an issue it is and whether up at the county level or the local level depends on the on the event. Uh, but they really are responsive to, to your needs. So I'm, I'm assuming that the other companies out there have that. I don't know for a fact, but Southern California Edison does a great job at it. And you know what? That just reminded me that I guess I'm going to have to seek out somebody from Southern California Edison and invite them to be on the show. So anyway, thanks for the question, Bill, and I do appreciate it. And we'll, uh, anybody out there has any questions, uh, let me know and I'll either find out about it or I'll let you know I don't know the answer. So now let's talk about active shooter training. Hi, this is Todd DeVoe with Ian Weekly and welcome to where we're at right now. And so today I have with me Adam Pendley. And um, Adam is part of a training cadre that I'm actually here taking a class. Started uh, talking to him and I was like, wow, this is somebody who needs to share some information with Ian Weekly. And it's on response to actor shooter. And there's been this class has some interesting paradigm shifts that uh, I'm still trying to get my head around a little bit. And uh, so Adam will be here to talk about that. So Adam, welcome to Ian Weekly. So tell me a little bit about yourself first, and then we'll get into your company. 
Sure. My name is, again, Adam Pendley. I work as a, an assistant chief at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, which is in Florida. Um, I have almost 25 years of law enforcement experience. Uh, made my way, uh, started actually as a communications officer, or a dispatcher, made my way through patrol ranks uh, until I was appointed as an assistant chief of police services. And currently, I'm in charge of communications 911 center our body camera program and some other things but what brings me here is i'm also uh, an instructor for a company called c3 pathways and they have a partnership with the department of homeland security to deliver an active shooter incident management course and that's what brings us out to to california for this delivery here in the beautiful southern california san diego area <laughs> So, obviously, over the last uh, few years, especially since Columbine, we've seen a shift specifically in law enforcement on how we respond to uh, the active shooter. Went from the idea of waiting for SWAT team to come, you know, before officers engaged, and then we went with uh, first in, first contact concept. And that's kind of where we're uh, responding to now. And But one of the issues that we all know is that, and it's not just for active shooter, but some other situations as well, but you have that congestion of everybody showing up to the scene, vehicles all over the place. It's, it takes a little bit for us to get our hands wrapped around what was going on um, before we have control over the scene. So your training is really trying to shift that idea of the everybody respond to the gunfire to some people respond to the gunfire, but then everybody else responds to a staging area. Talk about that process and how you guys got there. So I think one of the, the main shifts that has helped us get to the point we're at now is is the applying some strategy to these incredibly complex events. Law enforcement has done a fantastic job across the country adapting as new incidents have, have created a need for new tactics. And you bring up Columbine, and, and of course that was a huge paradigm shift from this idea that patrol officers would just surround a, a scene and call for special weapons and tactics and they would come in and and solve the problem. We realized early on as, as law enforcement that some more rapid intervention is necessary. So lots of training was geared towards rapid intervention that all law enforcement officers should insert into the scene, track down the active threat and neutralize that threat. Well then as those that training was put into practice in the field, just like you bring up, you find that too many officers are trying to do that one task. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that this is an incredibly complex event and it requires some management and some strategy to make sure that yes, you certainly need a good number of law enforcement officers to address that initial active threat, but there's many more responsibilities that are happening simultaneously. And one of the things that we focus on is this idea of addressing that active threat, but then we have folks that need to be rescued as well and, and brought out of harm's way and the injured to be treated, and then some additional clearing that has to happen. So in order to do that, you have to apply some strategy, which involves having some initial teams go in, having kind of the fifth arriving officer to take a role of managing everyone else that's going to move in. And some may need to go around to a different entrance. Some may, may need to cut down access to the stairwells. Some may need to worry about establishing a casualty collection point. That way you have multiple tasks happening simultaneously. 
So one of the things that, you know, with law enforcement and fire, and we kind of tease fire a little bit about this, is the idea of staging away. You know, a call comes in, it's a violence call, and they're, you know, over at the 7-Eleven having coffee until we call them in, right? Just joking, fire. You know, um, but th- this has changed that idea as well, too. So now we're seeing fire really happily so going in with law enforcement support into the warm zones, um, not necessarily the hot zone, but definitely into areas where they probably would have gone in the past. Um, can you talk a little bit about that change in the, in the mindset with fire? Sure. Yeah. And, and that's a mindset that uh, across the country we're, we're, we're moving in the right direction, but definitely still needs some work. And one of the things we talk about in this material is the fact that you know, for active shooter events, historically, statistically, they actually get safer as time goes by. As law enforcement goes on scene, uh, the, the threat is neutralized. Law enforcement across the country does a very good job of neutralizing the threat, and the threat level to those follow-on responders actually goes down. Whereas the fire service has taught their entire career that the longer the incident goes on, the more dangerous it becomes because the fire becomes more unstable and there's more danger involved. And so what we're trying to do is, is, is change that mindset that Fire EMS, while nothing is ever 100% safe, law enforcement can provide a level of protection. They can establish warm zones. They can establish corridors and escorts for rescue task forces to come down and start doing the life-saving. And the fantastic thing that we've seen across the country is that fire and EMS departments are eager to do that. They want to save lives. They want to go downrange and, and do work closer. And one of the things that I like to share across the country is that we work in warm zones together all the time. If you go to a, a, a street shooting of some sort at one of your neighborhood intersections and law enforcement rushes to the scene, they have victims down, they have injured down, and they do that thing where they call and they say, hey, we're ready for fire EMS to come in. Fire EMS comes in and they start working on the, the patient's that is still a warm zone. Mm-hmm. That intersection for that street level shooting is not really going to be a cold zone until all the patients are transported, crime scene investigators get there, and they make the intersection you know, completely safe. So if we remind everyone that, hey, we work in warm zones together all the time, it helps Fire EMS realize, yeah, we're ready to partner with law enforcement. We're ready to go downrange more quickly to help those that are injured. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually, you know, that idea that we're we're already doing it that this way. It just puts it into a different dynamic when it comes to the, uh, the shooter. I mean, some of the stuff in the training that we've got today and or this week that we've been here and some of this already knew the idea that a patient's going to bleed out within 10 minutes um, if they have one of the larger um, arteries um, hit. And I had an, an interview with a guy. It's called High Speed Tech, that is the name of his company, where he goes and he trains people, uh, firefighters and paramedics uh, and law enforcement regarding early onset of the tourniquet. And we quickly dropping active shooter kits around and stuff like this. And I can see that that application, you know, during this class. And I think the cool part about this class, and, and now we're going to get into a little bit more of what you guys do, is that it's a simulation. You partly live action play for lack of a better term and then partly computer game play and it really kind of puts that idea of the high, what high speed tech that was talking about 
in his episode into play where you actually can go in and touch patients and start to treat them after the threat is down. Talk a little bit about that training and then exactly how you guys developed this uh, cool simulation. Sure. The simulation software is was built around this idea that it provides a stage or a screenplay for input for good decision-making and good communication. So if, if you go back some number of years, C3 Pathways actually started in 2004 as a company called Future FD, and the use of technology was early on in Bill Godfrey, the, the founder and CEO of the company, embraced technology as a way to get multiple simulations done in in a smaller amount of training time. So many times across the country, we plan exercises and drills and we bring a lot of parties into play, but you might only get one run at it and then you evaluate it and then that's, that's it. And you wait until next year when it's time to do another exercise. As the company continued to develop, in 2012, there was an expansion. It was called C3 Pathways. And then this push towards creating this simulation environment and the technology allowing us to do multiple iterations of this building blocks that we're teaching was very important. And to where we are today, in a three-day active shooter incident management class, we work with integrated building blocks. So we teach a unit of material lecture-wise, and then we demonstrate that same lecture material hands-on in the simulation environment. And over the course of three days, we get 10 full scenarios done with the students, and they rotate through all of the positions. So even if their day-to-day position or rank wouldn't necessarily put them in a command role, they still get to sit in the command seat so they can see that building block as well. So uh, I think I think it's important, you know, the crawl, walk, run sort of mentality that as you start with the basic building blocks, you demonstrate it, then you make it more complex, and then you demonstrate that. And I don't think there's any other opportunity across the country to get this much practice done in such a short period of time. I agree with you 100% on that. And, and one of the cool things that this company does with this training is it really uses the principles of adult education where you're learning in the book, you know, you're actually taking that very quickly, putting this as a practical application with your hands on in the simulation. And then at some point during this class, you're going to actually critique each yourself and, and people around you in a positive manner. So you're kind of already doing that teach back as well right away. So you really, you can take this stuff and, and, and run with it and bring it back to your department and even use this, the concepts behind here to help out training your officers and firefighters and EMTs and paramedics uh, back at your department after taking a, a course like this. And that's kind of a cool thing. So what's your next step then with this type of training? The answer to that question and more when we return from our break. Emergencies happen, whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. 
The modern emergency manager wears a lot of hats, so how do you also fit in the needs of your exercise program? It is a matter of time, and how much is your time worth? A lot. TTX Vault is the answer to getting some of that time back. We offer pre-assembled tabletops, drills, and functional exercises spanning NIMS, hospitals and healthcare, special operations, and more, all coming from the archives of the Blue Cell. Get a jumpstart on the exercise process and visit us today at www.ttxvault.com. Welcome back from that break, and thank you so much for listening to our sponsors. Without them, we couldn't really bring you uh, what we have. So check them out and let them know that you came from EM Weekly. Let's continue the interview. So what's your next step then with this type of training? Currently, we're in development with virtual reality as well. So the full-on goggles with a virtual reality environment uh, on a platform that allows you to move 360 degrees and certain portions of the simulator would be in that environment as well. So from a law enforcement perspective, it would give you the opportunity to practice a lot of the tactical skills that we learn um, in other training environments as far as entering rooms and and using corners and cover and bounding overwatch and, and a lot of the good law enforcement tactics, but on the fire EMS side as well, the virtual reality, uh, a, a fire EMS, person who let's say is assigned to a rescue task force can enter a room and see how law enforcement has sorted the room and you have uninjured that are moved to one direction and you have you know patients that are labeled as red by law enforcement that are maybe down in the room that need to be immediately triaged and maybe some walking wounded that are sorted in another area so the fire ems can immerse themselves in the environment as well so we're kind of excited for that product to come online in the in the near future uh, it's already in use and testing and, and training that we're doing amongst ourselves to to get that product out there as well but other than that i think one of the other strengths of the material itself is adapting as new information is brought into the material it changes. There, it's, it's very flexible and it's driven by actual research and actual statistics. It's grounded in reviews of active shooter events that have occurred going all the way back to the year 2000 and we've actually just updated the material with the 2015-2016 statistics as well. So it's not just, hey, we think that this is a good way to do it. This is grounded with empirical research to say that this is a process that works and it's hopefully a process that that works better but obviously you brought up a good point when you were just a minute ago you said that you know this allows you to come back and have good conversations with your agency and and at the end of the day that's what we want we we travel the country and you bring in uh, multiple agencies usually for each presentation and we want them to leave as subject matter experts who can go back and have those policy conversations and have those that interaction with the rest of their area and region uh, to, to take the best from what they learned from the course and apply it in the real world. What are some of the challenges that you guys during the, the education and training portion and some of the research have had with this program? I think some of the challenges is getting people to accept the idea that we're not coming into your community to teach you the way you already do things. That would be silly to come into somebody's community and give them three days worth of a review of what they already have in policy. We're teaching a a validated process that 
that works. And it, and it may have some elements that are different from a community's current policy and procedure, and that's okay. So the challenge would be to, you know, like any training, to go into the training with an open mind and say, hey, there are some parts of this that we can integrate right away. And there's some parts that because of resources, policy, politics, or just legal issues in your in your jurisdiction that may not work as well. And you leave that on the shelf and that's okay too. So I think the biggest challenge is, is when, when we do this presentation is to come into the training with an open mind. The good news is, is that we very rarely have a problem with people saying, okay, I, I get that and I want to, I want to soak it in and, and have those conversations in my community. And so your instructors that you that you bring in, they're all seasoned veterans, chief level type people. How are you been received by other agents? I mean, this is my first class with you guys, but like, you know, and it seems like everybody here really respects what you guys are saying. But how are other people around the nation um, receiving you guys? I think I think we're received pretty well. And like you said, in it. It's not just the the season chief level. There's definitely some of that. We but we have some operators. We have some uh, some bomb squad types and some uh, even some street level sergeants and and uh, others that have that are that are still working in the fire EMS world. And and so I think I think people like to see that. I think they like to see the variety of experience. Uh, they like to to be able to to identify. With, with someone that matches the kind of work that they've done in their own career. Um, so I think that lends to, to some credibility. It's not just a, you know, hey, I, I'm familiar with this PowerPoint, so I'm going to read this PowerPoint to you. I mean, I think people bring some real world. And then there are several members of our cadre that have worked some of these terrible events across the country, and they bring, you know, real world examples from some of the challenges they faced managing active shooter events. You've talked about reading the PowerPoint. I can tell you just from my experience in this class, these last couple of days, that none of the instructors have read off the PowerPoint. You know, thank God, because you can, it can get kind of boring, right? So no one's reading directly off the PowerPoint. It's, it's really dynamic. Each speaker has something that they're bringing, um, that's, that's unique and, and exciting and, uh, learning a lot from, from everybody here. So if somebody wanted to learn more about how to get in contact with you guys or take the course, how would they find you? C3pathways.com is, uh, so the letter C, number three, pathways.com. It has a schedule of, of where the future deliveries are going to be, where other deliveries have been. All of the material is, as far as what's available is, is clearly marked on the website. And then one of the things that drives the training that we do is the validated active shooter checklist. And that is available for any agency that has a need for an active shooter checklist, it's available on the website. You have to, you know, click on a, a link that that allows you to do a legal release uh, as far as liability is concerned. But some of this material is available right now if an agency needed to reach out to have something to start with. And then there's different levels of the training is available as well. But but the goal here, and I think everyone in the cadre would agree that. You know, although all training costs some sort of money, our really our goal is to get a better way out there to to help save lives and to help make a difference in these in these terrible situations. So there's material available right now if people were to go to to that website. And these classes are also sponsored by uh, DHS and through Teeks, right? That's correct. Through the Texas A&M Extension Service is, is where the classes are coordinated through. And uh, but it is the, the current 
run is sponsored by the Department of Homeland Security, and that partnership has been great. So there's additional offerings that, and again, the ability to, to apply for that can be found either on the TEKS or the ALERT website, and it can also be found on C3 Pathways. Yeah, and I highly recommend it. If you guys have the opportunity to go and, and take one of these classes, or if you're a, a decision maker and you're able to send people to these classes, I highly recommend getting people into this class. Okay, so here comes the uh, the toughest question of the day. What book, books, or publication do you recommend for somebody who wants to learn more about active shooter or active shooter response in general? So there's actually a really good book that was uh, written by instructors uh, from the Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training Alert at, at Teeks, and it's uh, the title of it's Active Shooter Events and Response by Pete Blair, Terry Nichols, David Burns, and John Kernett. And it goes through some of this, the kind of the same sequence of not only the initial response, but some of the management aspects that, that we talk about in this same course. And, you know, with at the time that the book was written, they took a snapshot of active shooter events at that time. So some of the statistics have been updated since then, but the but the basic building blocks are are there. And then me personally, I would uh, just recently read Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal. And I think some of the concepts in there that as long as all your teams know the mission, that they can make a difference at the team level and all be marching towards a successful outcome for the entire mission. And I think uh, that that team of teams book is, is kind of what we teach is that as as people are given a task and purpose at an active shooter event, and if they focus on their task and purpose, work as a team, but also as part of the whole, that that we can make great advances in dealing with the active threat quickly, working on those rescues, stopping the dying, getting the injured to the hospital quickly, and then working on clearing issues. Those three priorities that we talk about a lot during the material. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to the decision makers, the emergency managers, the the chiefs of police that are out there right now, fire chiefs too for that matter, that are out there right now listening to this interview? Talk to each other. That's and not only talking at a command level, you know, we go to meetings all the time, but really talk to each other. Like, what? how are we going to work this out when our time comes? And we focus a lot on active shooter events because that's what the material is geared towards. But at the end of the day, some of the overarching management concepts and, and the principles of the incident command system apply to all hazards, of course. So as you build these relationships before that day comes, that's how you solve it on the back end. So I think talking to each other is a big thing, really comparing your policies, understanding what your limitations are. And I'll give a real quick story. We were in one community and we discovered that the ambulance, the EMS service was a third service, a, a private service EMS. And it was their plan for them to be part of the RTFs or the rescue task forces because of their medical training. And so they would go downrange with the rescue task forces. And, but that left the ambulance unattended as far as a driver is concerned. So we suggested as the instructors from another area of the country, well, couldn't one of the firemen drive the ambulance to the hospital? And they said, no, it's against state law. Without a certain number of training hours on that rig, that they weren't allowed to drive it. And so there was an aha moment in the room that, wait a minute, we need to talk to each other about those kind of things. So some individual plans had been built, uh, but it, it would appear that 
they hadn't compared notes. So definitely sit down to each other and not only have the conversations, but work through in a meaningful way how you would sort out some of those issues uh, you know, when your day comes. Well, sir, thank you so much for uh, doing what you do here. The, the class is wonderful. And uh, thank you for uh, coming on Ian Weekly. Absolutely. Thank you.